please sit comfortably. And just a few brief words tonight, but one theme um, that's been on my mind this week, um, I've happened to have a number of different conversations with uh, uh, colleagues of mine. I'm not talking so much of people in the same group, but with colleagues. And um, on each of those occasions, um, the theme of what they were talking to me about was a lot of self-doubt. Um, and their self-doubt about <coughs> their, their professionalism as a psychologist and whether they were doing the right thing and so on. And it was kind of like a, <clears throat> in each case it was kind of like a, a crippling self-doubt. Um, because doubting, doubt's a funny kind of thing. It's, it's a valuable thing to have. You know, if we didn't doubt, we would we'd be probably arrogant, arrogantly think we knew everything. You know, it's good to be able to reflect and go, well, maybe I, I really don't know what's going there. And maybe, maybe I wasn't so skillful in doing that. So it's a kind of a humbling experience to doubt. Um, but if it becomes too extreme, it seems to be crippling too. And in um, classical Buddhism, doubt is one of the hindrances that gets in the way of people being with practice and practicing meditation and practicing the Dharma. So, so much doubt goes on that it sort of seems to stop the person from actually moving forward and deepening their practice if it's too strong. Um, and it's very heady doubt when you think about it. You know, it's, 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 it's up here. Um, there's, a, there's a conflict going on, often a war going on. And, and some people, um, well, like me when I was younger, some people even doubt their doubts. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a, it's an ongoing process. It's like an infinite regress, you know. And uh, so it has, its, it has its virtue, but it seems like when it's in excess and when it's driven by... Um, some very deep feeling of lack of self-worth. You know, it seems to become very debilitating. Um, to say more about it, and I've mentioned this before, um, a, a saying in, in Zen Buddhism is that the three, the three great virtues in Zen Buddhism for, for a, a Zen practitioner to, to embrace is great faith, great doubt, and great sincerity. So in most religious practices it's about faith, you know, having great faith. But Zen embraces both great faith, which is a kind of trust in, a trust in that this process works, um, but at the same time it really values this great doubt, this great sense of inquiry and like, I don't know, do you know, I just, I don't know what Buddha nature is. I don't understand what life is. And in all of the Zen literature, um, it's, it's uh, known or considered over the centuries, the bigger the, the bigger the great doubt, the bigger the awakening, the deeper the awakening. So this, it can be a valuable experience, but <coughs> on the other hand, sometimes it leads to this kind of crippling sense of um, undermining our self-worth. Um, so that's one aspect of what I want to talk about. The other aspect, or the polar opposite that goes together with it, 
is um, spontaneity. And um, if a, a Zen practice works over time, it leads to um, a more natural spontaneity. And so somehow what happens is that the doubt gets transformed into something else, you know, and that we become freer of doubt. Now one way that this actually manifests itself in the body, uh, I read this the other day and it, it just struck me as being so true, that, that when, when monks, like Zen monks or Buddhist monks, are going around and they're, they're, not, they're not awakened, they're in a deluded state, their heads, their heads are down. Uh, they're walking like, like, what's Buddha nature? Like, what's my life about? You know, like that. Uh. And when you see when you see um, pictures of the Buddha, do you know, or people awake, their heads up. Right, like with the Alexander technique. You know, it's sort of down, thinking, 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 doubting. They're up, and they're engaged with life. Mm -hmm. I mean, all all of the all of the ways the Buddha is depicted is with that 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 beautiful upright posture just engaging with life, you know, not, not getting caught up in all of the intellectual doubt and so on, just sort of getting on with his life. So something transforms in this process and it's a, it's a bit of a mystery. Um, it's a mystery to me, but, but it, nevertheless it happens, is that self-doubt seems to drop away and, and a natural kind of spontaneity emerges. And it's not impulsiveness. Impulsiveness, usually when you look at impulsiveness, it's a, it, 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 it's a, it's a knee-jerk reaction to preconceived ideas about life and concepts, of good or bad and so on. But spontaneity, like the, like the flow of water, is, is, is what comes into our experience more. That's why in, in the Taoist literature they use that, that metaphor of flowing water. Um, you know, as a metaphor for, you know, how, how to live our lives fully. And so we, we do get into more of a flow. Um, flow is, a, is a, a theme that psychologists are looking at more and more, and it's associated with well-being. But one, one way of looking at this too, Althea gave me this book um, to read, which you, you enjoyed, which is by a, Ruth, a woman called <coughs> Ruth Sapora, Improvisation on the Edge, and she's a, an improvisational artist, performance artist, who had a, a background of dancing and also was involved in Zen practice. And she says, I haven't read all of it yet, but it says that when she was a, a young child, she had a lot of self-consciousness and difficulty expressing herself in words. And she found that the, the best way that she could express herself was through movement and through dancing. And so she ended up doing a lot of dancing, doing a lot of training as a dancer. And um, well, apparently would, was an international artist, like she'd just get up on stage without any preconceived idea, this audience out there and the quietness and the emptiness of the stage. And then she would just allow herself to be moved by the energy within, within her, you know, which is sounds really scary, doesn't it? You know, yet, she, yet she could do it, and, and people were amazed by, by what she could do. She also said that when she first entered a Zen meditation hall, she had the same kind of experience that she, she just came into this still 
open, empty space in which she was free just to be herself. You know, so it's like she saw the similarity in her performance work and also this, what Zen was offering in the sense of just coming to this empty place without expectations or ideas and so on. And then something comes forth within that experience. Um, I'll read you a little bit from um, an introduction from Joan Sutherland, who's a Zen teacher who gave the foreword to it. Um, Improvisation requires a ferocious discipline, honing skills until they're second nature and also dismantling what Zen calls the head on top of your head. That is, the head of judgment, opinion, self-regard, remember, self-regard or self-image, preconceptions and self-deception, all the preoccupations that distance us from what we're actually perceiving and doing. It takes a lot of dismantling of the vast engines of thought and feeling to clear the ground so that something new might become visible. But when that second head disappears, or at least gets a lot quieter, we come to any moment not as a self longing to be expressed, but as a participant in something larger than ourselves that would like to be revealed. Without you there's no improvisation, but with you there's mad jumping off cliffs and sheltering others under your branches and finding the mercy life has for your mistakes. Ruth talks about fully inhabiting whatever appears, be it grace or clumsiness. By not retreating into that second head of opinion about it, grace, good, clumsiness, bad comparisons, we're able to fully experience clumsiness to allow clumsiness to experience us fully. That's a good thing in the meditation of real life because we spend a fair amount of our time in states like that. Ruth's description of when an improvisation isn't working is vivid. She grasps, she's grasping after herself and what on earth she's going to do next. Piecing together things that worked before, desperately trying to keep the show going. And then there's the moment of surrender to whatever the uncomfortable state is. And suddenly, clumsiness is the grace. And what seemed like a detour from the improvisation is the thing itself. Suddenly, the question of possibilities of clumsy is fascinating. Right? So she could be talking about our everyday experience of life, but there it is up on the stage where she's doing it as, as theatre. And um, so what, em what emerges out of our Zen practice in everyday life <coughs> is, is this um, delight and willingness in improvising. You know, instead of having all of these expectations and self-image and how you've got to hold on to the self-image and so on, all, all the opinions about whether I'm worthy or not worthy, they just all drop away. And, and you're a much clearer space to just um, respond to what's in front of you. Whatever that might be. It could be anything. We don't know what's going to happen to us when we go out from this room tonight. But that, that, is, that is the manifestation of what happens when we really do empty the mind of concepts 
and we truly come into the present moment. If you follow that through into action, then it's, it's this ability to improvise which comes forward. Mm-hmm. It's not pre-planned. Like she says, if you try to plan it, you know, then, then you get caught in, in, in your um, self-consciousness. Um, and one of the particular important things in there, do you know, is that we, we, we don't like the experience of being clumsy or appearing clumsy, do you know, or unskillful. But if, if we embrace it, do you know, rather than try to escape from it, somehow we fall into it. And like she said in the end, that's where, when we, when we, when we fall into our clumsiness, if we fall into our delusion, you know, if we, if we accept our frailty in a kind way, in a non-judgmental way, that in itself transforms itself into grace. Uh, and that's, that's the trans- transformative um, process of her improvisational theatre and the transformational process of Zen as well. Good book. Thank you.